how thankful we are that you extend to us an invitation to come back to you, uh, to come home to where we belong in your family. And we know that sin has disrupted that and sin has disqualified us from that, but you have made a way possible for us to come home. We're so thankful this morning that we can give you worship because of that truth and that we can open your word now and continue to worship because of what you've spoken to us from it. And so I pray this morning that as we open up that written word, that we would receive this word of God as you would intend us to receive it. We invite your Holy Spirit at this moment to begin already to challenge us, to convict us, to remove all distractions from us so that you can change us. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You take your Bible, look with me in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And so we uh, are focusing on one of our core values at our church. We, there are about six of those that we identified several years ago. And, and we certainly want to focus on all six of those as we move through a year. But uh, each year we really want to hone in on one of those. And the core value that we're really focusing on this year specifically is Scripture itself. And so today we're going to talk about how we can receive the Bible. We, we already spoke the first week about the revelation of the Bible, how it really is all about Jesus. And, and then last week we saw about the richness of the Bible and, and how its value that it has in our lives today. But today I want to think about receiving the Bible. Again, we believe the Scripture is pretty important here at our church. In fact, uh, the next slide is going to show you uh, how we phrase that at our church. Because the Bible is God's Word to us, we believe it to be the perfect revelation of God. It is the perfect Word of God. It's the complete revelation of God. And the Bible is the basis of what we teach and preach, and it should provide the standard for all of our beliefs, values, and practices. And, and the Bible is so important that we, we all learned a song, a lot of, if you grew up in church, you probably learned a song uh, that kind of taught you the importance of the Bible, and it has such a rich meaning that you probably, if you hadn't been here the last couple of weeks, you probably hadn't sang it since you were a small child, but you're going to sing it today, okay? Here we go again. It's called the B-I-B-L-E, and it's real simple. So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to start, then you're going to complete, okay? The entire, the words are right there on the screen. It goes something like this. The B-I-B-L-E. One more time. We got a little, that was good and strong, but there at the end, some of y'all tried to out sing the others pretty fast, okay? <laughs> One more time, just to get the message of it. The B I B L E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B I B L E. It is a book, the book for me. 
that I, if I need to, I can and must stand alone on that Word of God. But there's something really weird that happens in churches every Sunday. Well, there's a lot of weird things that happen in churches every Sunday. But there's really something bizarre that happens in this setting every single Sunday. How can two people who are sitting in the same building maybe sitting on the same pew. They, they open the same Bible. They hear the same message from the same preacher. They hear the same words. Yet one of those people will leave this meeting today feeling as if God spoke directly to their heart in a very powerful way. And the other person will leave this building today thinking they've wasted their time this morning. How can that happen? Well, Jesus tells us a parable that helps us understand how that happens. At the very outset, I want to make this very, very clear. When it comes to the impact that the Word of God has in your life, two variables are at work. Two things are always at work. When you walk in this room today, right now at this moment, these two variables are at work. The content of Scripture and the condition of your heart. Those two things make the difference in a person who leaves here feeling that God spoke to them and someone who leaves here feeling that God didn't speak to them. And it's not preaching style. You can't blame me for this. I am only the mailman. That's all I am. I'm just sharing with you what God has shared with us in Scripture. It has nothing to do with the style of preaching as to whether or not you leave close to God. It is the content of Scripture and the condition of your heart. Now, the content of Scripture, you don't have a choice about. Okay, That is a variable that God has fixed himself. God has written his word, the content of scripture, that variable is locked down. The variable that, that we are responsible for, the, the, the thing that we have some sway in, comes down to the condition of our heart. When we're ready to receive God's word, what is the condition of our heart? Whether it's in this setting or whether it's in a setting in the privacy of your own, you've probably been there at your home, and maybe one morning you are reading your Bible, and 10 minutes in, you don't know what happened because you're thinking about something else. And the next day you read it, man, it feels like God just speaking to you. Well, what's, what gives? What's the deal with that? It's the condition of our heart. The content of Scripture never changes. It's the condition of our heart that fluctuates up and down, back and forth. Look at what Jesus said. He talks about this in Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him, so he got into a boat on the sea and sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. 
When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased thirty, sixty, and a hundred times. Then he, this is Jesus still speaking, said, Let anyone who hear has ears to hear listen. When he was done, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So the listeners were confused. And, and basically the disciples say, Jesus, why don't you just come out and tell us what you mean? Verse 11, Jesus answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables. So that, and he begins to quote Old Testament scripture, they may indeed look and not perceive. They may indeed listen and not yet understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? Now, in these couple of verses right here, Jesus is teaching us something that's so important insight into the truth of God, insight into this Word of God. It is a gift from God. No matter, listen, no matter how smart you are, no matter how smart you think you are, you can have more degrees on your wall than your thermostat. That's a lot. No matter how smart you think you are, you cannot understand God's Word without God's help. That's what Jesus is teaching us. You can't understand the Word of God without the help of God. Remember when Jesus asked His disciples one day, He said, who do people say that I am? And they replied. And then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus did not say, congratulations, Peter, you're smarter than a fifth grader. Jesus instead said to Peter, Peter, flesh and blood, your intellect has not revealed this to you, but the, the, the Spirit of God has revealed this to you. Jesus, we need to understand that sin causes our heart to become so dull and darkened toward God that we cannot see spiritual truth without His help. So my point being, insight into God's truth is not just a matter of your head, it's a matter of your heart. In fact, I would go so far to make this statement. When it comes to the impact that God's Word has in your life, the condition of your heart is more important than the intellect in your head. Therefore, doesn't it make sense that we should spend time preparing our heart to receive God's Word? Now look, we preachers, we are the worst at this. Because we have all the intellectual tools. We've got our, our software programs, we've got our, our concordance, we've got our, our, our dictionaries, we've got the experts and all that they've said, we've got the, how to parse the Greek and how to understand the Hebrew. We've got that all around us for our intellect. But Jesus is saying it's not about the intellect. It's about the condition of your heart. So maybe instead of spending so much time trying to prepare our minds, 
Maybe we should spend just as much time, at least equal time, preparing our hearts. So what kind of heart do you have toward God's Word? You say, Pastor, what are the options? Great question. We're going to answer that question by looking at what Jesus said. Every person in this room today, every person has one of these four types of hearts that Jesus is mentioning in this parable. First is this. Some of you have a heart that is distracted. Some of you have a heart that is distracted. The person who has a distracted heart might be interested in what the Word of God says, but they're not so interested that God's Word becomes a priority. Jesus talks about this kind of heart in Mark chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, when he says, The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the, the word sown in them. The heart that is distracted. People who have a distracted heart, they will leave this place today and almost immediately Satan, like a bird, snatches away the thought by distracting you with something else. Now that something else might be important, like what am I going to eat? Amen, praise God, right? That's why we've got lunch for you today, so no one has to leave here with a distracted heart. See how we're ministering to you? Now, though, whatever you're thinking about, that might be, those might be important things. But something that takes your mind off of what God is saying to you in this moment is not a good thing. Look, this is happening right now in this room. Some of you are listening, and some of you are thinking, this, this is kind of makes sense. <clears throat> I haven't thought about it from this perspective. And you begin to ponder that. Yet as soon as we dismiss, as soon as you walk out of this building, as soon as you go outside those doors, you become consumed with what you have to do this afternoon, what you have to do for the rest of the week. You get distracted and your heart no longer remembers what God is speaking to you in this moment. I believe that distractions are just as dangerous as doubt. You see, here's the thing about getting distracted. And here's what's so dangerous about it. If, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus... And you open up the word of God, I guarantee you what God's going to do. God is going to move you to a part of scripture that calls you to repent and that calls you to surrender yourself to his lordship. And when that happens, the enemy will distract you. And distraction is all about taking something that needs to be done and putting it off for one more moment. And you continue to get distracted, you continue to put it off, and what happens is that you put it off one too many times, and there's no longer a chance. As we heard in the choir special this morning, deathbeds are coming. Something happens, and the enemy has distracted you long enough to where you've told Jesus, no, you've put it off, you put it off, you put it off, and then you die without Jesus. You have to spend eternity in hell because of a distraction. Oh, but we don't get out of this 
without some skin of the game, believers. Because that same principle follows in our obedience to God. When, when you sit in this, in this place and you read your Bible or you spend time in worship and, 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 and the Lord speaks to you and, and you make a commitment, I'm going to obey in this, I'm going to do this, and you walk outside and then all these things begin to distract you. The enemy knows that if he can distract you, if he can keep you from giving God 100% today, then maybe he can also do it the next day and the next day and the next day. And the next day, until you spend your life with delayed obedience. And as we told our kids growing up, delayed obedience is just another word for disobedience. We have to be on guard of the distractions of our heart because some people have a distractive heart. Second, some people, even in this room today, we have hearts that have drifted. Some are distracted, but some are hearts that have drifted. There are, are some people who hear the word of God. They are initially moved by it, or they, they make a decision regarding it. But that decision does not last very long. And the slightest difficulty, the slightest bump in the road causes their heart to drift away from the word. Look at verses 16 and 17. Of Mark chapter 4. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. A heart that drifts from God's word. That heart belongs to a person who, when they responded, they, they had the best intentions, but in their response to God, they weren't really responding to God, but they were responding to a feeling. You know what it's like? You, anybody know what buyer's remorse is? You ever had that? That happens in our spiritual lives as well. You ever made some commitment? It's a good, it's a noble commitment. It's a commitment you should make. And after you make that commitment, in the heat of that moment, and, and, and it means something was happening. I used to, we had a kind of a, 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 a music guy and I, my last church kind of had a, a joke that, uh, and what really a joke is, wasn't that funny, but uh, as most of my jokes aren't. Uh, but we were talking about how, you know what, it, it's a good service if people cry. That, 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 that seemed to be the criteria, that you had a really good service. Uh, people was like, that's the best service ever, if they cried, because their emotions got Something happened with their emotions. Their emotions got engaged. But then we go out and all of a sudden those emotions fade away. Oh, we're on fire for God one minute. But the next minute, maybe it's God wanting to fire us. <laughs> this is a heart that has drifted. When that feeling is gone, they drift away. Look, the proof of faith, the proof of your faith isn't found in how intense it is at the beginning, but the proof of your faith is found in its endurance to the end. It is true that once you were saved, you were always saved. Lots of scripture teaches that once Christ has truly taken control of your life, he will never let you go. It's also true that one of the signs of saving faith is that kind of faith endures to 
the end. I don't want to downplay our emotions. God gave us those emotions, but I also don't want you to rely upon them because your emotions will lie to you. When someone tells you, just trust your heart, don't do that because your heart is desperately wicked. If somebody says, trust your gut, your gut ain't in that good a shape. You might, or at least mine ain't. If I trust my gut, I'm in a buffet every day. That ain't good. I don't want to downplay that, but you can't just trust that. Your, ex- your faith in God needs to be rooted in an experience with God, not your feelings about God, because if it's not, that heart will drift away from God. The third kind of heart is this. Some people have a divided heart. Some people have a divided heart. And if I hadn't finished yet, I am at this next one, okay? There are people who hear the Word of God. There are people who believe that the Word of God is true. There are people who even want to follow it, but other things divide their heart. And the heart goes in different directions. If it's going in different directions, it can't be devoted to one single thing. Look what Jesus said, verses 18 and 19. Others are like seed sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Jesus got specific about the things that would divide the heart as they choke the word. He mentions the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for the things. Let me, let me just toss out some scenarios that I have struggled with. If, if you think I'm preaching to you, I promise I am not. Okay, I'm talking about me. But if it applies to you, I'm just the mailman. Okay, Remember, I'm just the mailman. A divided heart. The divided heart is interested in what's being said today, but as soon as we get out there, you've got bills to pay, you've got money to make, so what God says about generosity takes a back seat. Or maybe the weekends, you love weekends because it's the only me time that you have, so You'll do something else at the expense of placing yourself under the teaching of God's Word. You, you, you agree with what's being said here that it's important, but the moment you leave, in fact, some of you have been doing this in this service already, your heart's divided. You become consumed with whatever's going on in your text messages or your Instagram stories or your Facebook updates or your TikToks. Have I got everybody so far? I mean, everything around us is seeking to distract us, and when that distraction occurs, it divides us. Now, none of those things are bad. Our staff has some pretty good TikTok text that goes back and forth that make us laugh, okay? Nothing's wrong with those things in and of themselves. Neither will any of those things send you to hell. But they will cause your heart to become divided. And when your heart is divided, the word of God gets choked out of your life and it has no impact. 
You see, it's, it's very rare. No, I doubt very seriously that anyone in this room today would stand up and say that we outright reject God and his word. But it's very common for God's word to get crowded out by other things. It's a heart that's distracted. It's a heart that's drifted. There are hearts that are divided. And I admit it's all been kind of a want, 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 Debbie Downer up until now. But finally we get to the fourth kind of heart. Some people have hearts that are devoted. Finally, this is the heart for which we should long. This is the heart that we should ask God to give us. It's the heart that Jesus mentioned in verse 20. And those like seeds sown on good ground, they hear the word, they welcome it, they produce fruit 30, 60, and a hundred times what was sown. When God's word takes root in a devoted heart, something miraculous happens. In their agricultural times, a seed would normally provide eight times what was sown. But Jesus used numbers like 30, 60, 100. He was saying the person who has a a heart that's devoted to me, they will begin to live a life and it will become noticeable. You can tell when God's word has taken root in a devoted heart. It shows up in how you treat people. It shows up in your attitude at red lights. Here we go. It shows up in your interactions with people at the self-checkout aisle at Walmart or lack thereof. The people that's in the self-checkout aisle at Walmart. It shows up in how you treat people. It shows up and how you speak to people. It shows up in how you're excited to pursue the things of God. It shows up in your generosity. It shows up in your desire to tell people about Jesus. It shows up in your relationship with others. When a heart is devoted to God, there's no question. You know it's devoted because it shows up. 30, 60, 100 fold. God uses that devoted heart as the hands and feet of Jesus. So we got four hearts. Three of them, it should be pretty clear, we want to stay away from, right? If you're not clear what three those are, call me, we'll talk this week. There should, it should be clear of the one heart that we want to move toward, the devoted heart. So the question becomes, how do you get that kind of heart? How do you, and I'm going to blow your mind, all right? You're about to go, wow, look at all the seminary training <laughs> that comes with this answer. How you get the fourth heart? Don't get the first three. <laughs> That's it. It's not rocket science. Fallen Jesus doesn't require a PhD. Why you have a devoted heart? Don't have a divided one. Don't have a drifting one. Don't have a distracted one. But just so you get your full money's worth for your ticket price today, let me explain what I mean. If you want to have a devoted heart, here's what you need to do in relation to those other three types of heart. We must make a daily conscious decision 
to not be distracted by other things that would keep God's word from being the priority. But we're getting real practical. You want a devoted heart? Don't have that distracted heart. Make a daily decision to not be distracted by anything that would keep God's word from being a priority. You need to make a daily conscious decision to not base your relationship with God on your emotions or on on something that is fleeting, but on a true encounter with him so that you will not drift. Don't base your relationship with God upon how that you felt warm and fuzzy during one church service. That was it. Anchor yourself in a time in your life when you've placed your faith in Jesus because you will need that anchor because not every day is one of those nice, warm, fuzzy feeling days. Not every day does, do I wake up and, and Chris Tomlin is, is playing me a song from Caleb by the side of my bed. When you wake up, you're going to need to be anchored in an encounter with God. We must make a daily conscious decision to make living for God's kingdom a priority. Not the things this world. My friends, this world is passing away. Everything you work so hard to build in this world is going to be gone one day. It's God's history. Only what is done for the kingdom of God will last And so make a conscious daily, daily decision that you're going to live for God's kingdom as a priority, not the other things in this world. It's time for an honest assessment. That's what I want you to do this morning. I want you in just a moment, it's more I want to pray, but before I pray, we're just going to sit in silence to let you have an honest assessment of your heart. In fact, right now, I just want you to bow your head. Just so you don't get distracted, make sure your cell phone's off. If a cell phone goes off during this time, I will pray it gets leprosy. (laughs) Would you just for 60 seconds, I'll count in my head, 60 seconds, would you just Give yourself an honest assessment. Which one of these hearts do I have? Is my heart divided? Is my heart drifting? Is my heart distracted? Or is my heart devoted? Think of your walk with Jesus for the next 60 seconds. Think of an honest assessment of where your heart is today. Now, I've got some good news for you. Wherever you assessed your heart, if your heart, if you said today that your heart is at that devoted stage, uh, 
be, be very careful about climbing up on that high horse because tomorrow you've got to start all over. In fact, before the day's done, you've got to start all over. So if, if you're not at that devoted stage, I've got some, some good news for you. That good news is this. If you're not dead, God's not done. Wherever you are in your heart's posture before God, He can move you to devotion if you'll surrender yourself to Him today. Father, as, as we place ourselves before you today, we think about how we should receive this word. And I know that, uh, that for me, the devoted heart is difficult to maintain. It's difficult to achieve. And then I reminded that achieving, it's not really dependent upon me. It's dependent upon my reliance upon you. And so I pray for myself today. I pray for each person in this room today. For those of us who our heart is, is not as devoted as it should be to receive this word that you've given to us, which means that our heart is not as devoted to you as it should be. Father, would you empower us with your Holy Spirit and open our eyes to see the need that we have to rely in full devotion upon you. Father, I pray for those who are distracted right now. Even now, the enemy is asking them to put off the decision one more time, one more day, one more day. That decision may be a decision of salvation that they need to make in surrendering their lives to you. It may be a decision of obedience to follow you in some area. But I know that that distraction is designed to delay their response. And Father, I pray that today those who are being distracted would push that distraction aside and run straight to you. I pray for those of us who maybe our hearts are drifting. Father, that you would help us to anchor ourselves in you. For those hearts that are divided, we're, we're trying to do so many different things in our life. And, and that's good, man. We, we, we need to do things for others. We're not downplaying that at all. But we cannot push you out. We cannot push our relationship with you to the side. You must be the priority. And I pray for divided hearts today. That those divided hearts would become dedicated to you as the priority. Whatever you're calling us to do in these moments, Father, I pray we'd simply say yes in Jesus' name. Amen.